My name is Reese Nealon, and I'm one of the ministers here. I'm going to be giving a message today. In just a few moments, we're going to sort of begin the message by having some more sharing. One of the young men is going to share. He may be even nearby me at this very moment. But we're going to be continuing our series of lessons in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book of the Old Testament. Nehemiah is a great character of the Old Testament who's teaching us a lot about the opportunities we have in serving God, the opportunities we have to have a vision and a dream for our life, and the opportunity we have to make a difference. And that is uh, the title of the message today is How to Make a Difference. I hope that you're somebody who wants to make a difference. I also hope that you're somebody who believes that you can make a difference. With God, you can make a difference. I read a quote that I found to be compelling. Some of us have a bad habit of talking ourselves out of greatness. In other words, in God, we can do great things. Not for us, not for selfish reasons, but for God and for the benefit of other people. And I hope that we can increase our faith and believe in what God can do in us. It is important to live a life where we make a difference. I want to speak just for a moment to all of you who are less than 18 years old. And if you're over 18 years old, you're invited to listen in. But one of the life lessons that I hope you will figure out soon, if you've not figured it out already, is that life is empty unless you're living for Jesus and you're living to make a difference. Now, you may not figure that out now, and I'm not sure I knew that when I was less than 18 years old, but maybe you'll remember that. If it doesn't mean anything today, maybe it will for you sometime in the future. And it may not be obvious to you yet, but what you're going to find as you go through life is that all of your selfish pursuits and all of making life about you and about what's good for you and what you want, you're going to find that to be empty. You're going to find that to be unfulfilling. You're going to find that to be frustrating. And the only way to find fullness in life is to seek the Lord because there's a hole in your soul that only God can fill, that only Jesus can fill. You do that, and then you live a life where you are trying to make a difference in the lives of others. And so we're going to talk today in Nehemiah about how to make a difference. I've asked, uh, as I mentioned, one of the young men to share, and I've heard his story before. He's going to tell a little bit about his story of coming to Jesus, and I think there's some things in his story and in his life that he'll share with us that are going to help us to learn about how to make a difference. Young man, come and share now. Thanks, Reese. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Um, as you know, you guys know my name, Freddy Chavez. I'm 27 years old. Uh, I play the guitar here in the worship team. Ho- hopefully you guys know me by now playing the guitar. I'm okay. Uh, I'm in a wonderful millennial ministry. Uh, it's awesome to be in there. Uh, I work, fortunately, with Rob Cosberg. Uh, I don't know if you guys probably didn't know that, but I work with him. It's awesome. Um, I live in Highland Park, Pasadena. Let's go. That's where I live. I'm neighbors with Mercedes and all the Avilas. It's crazy. I barely visit them, though. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, what was happening in my life? Okay. 
There was so much going on. You know, I was living the dream kind of. I was I was in a metal band. I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is a, this is the dream life, you know, going to shows, going to Hollywood. This is everything. Um, I was a night owl. I would do everything, um, nightclubs, uh, dance clubs, uh, bars. I would be indulged in all that so much. Um, I was in a relationship. It was a, a strictly, a, a, a physically strict <laughs> relationship. It was just awful. I was just caught up. I was caught up in just sexual morality, uh, impurities, uh, so much debauchery and all that, uh, drunkenness. That was just, I was I was a deceiver. I was so caught up in deceiving people. Uh, I was, the guitar, the band was my idol. I was like, oh man, I gotta be like the best. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. But, someone reached out to me. This is awesome. I used to work at Rubio's. Who goes there after church, after service? A lot of us go there. So I used to work there on Sundays, and um, it was crazy because I, I would see everybody coming from church. like, oh, my gosh, the same people. That's crazy. And then Ashley, I don't know if you guys know Ashley Furman. She was in the campus ministry with me at the time. But, yeah, she's, she's great. I just saw her yesterday. We went to um, the uh, Reality 16 Coexist. I saw her there caught up. But she started working there, and it's crazy because, you know, like in between work and everything, which we have, we would have like really deep conversations and just like have fun. I was kind of mean to her, but you know, she helped me. Um, <clears throat> it was around 2012-2013 that uh, I actually started working there, and um, through that time, you know, I was still indulged in all this, and I thought I was a Christian, right? And <clears throat> Ashley came up to me, and she, we would just share all these these cool things together, and she would talk about everything that she would do, come out to the events and everything, and I would just be like, wow, that's crazy. You're still going over there, and the same people come out on Sundays. I see them. I still see them. Like in my other church, I used to go to this church. Um, it was sporadic. I would just go here and there, you know. Oh, yeah, I go to church Sunday, I guess, next month, I guess, or something. But... Um, that was in it when I, when I saw the people coming out to Rubio's, I was like, man, these guys are consistent. This is, this is kind of real. And, um, and then Ashley would just share, I was like, yeah, come out, come out. I was like, oh man, it looks cool. And then she asked me this specific question that I will never forget, uh, through the midst of all the conversations. She asked me one time, she's like, hey, Freddie, um, who do you put first? Like, who do you prioritize, prioritize, wow, prioritize in your life? And I was like, uh, my girlfriend here in in this world, physically, right? And in God. Okay. So I didn't know what I was talking about. And clearly, God wants you to put him first. And so I started realizing, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what's going on? Like, am I really, you know, it's crazy. I started, I started coming out and I was like, I want to get my life together. I, I want this. I want this. I, I want to answer this question the right way. <clears throat> and so I started coming out. And that's the reason why I accepted that spiritual invitation, because she showed me consistent, you know, um, just care, love. Like, oh, what are you doing? How are you, how are you, how are you feeling? Like, well, oh, did you go this today or to the event? Oh, why not? Like, you missed out kind of thing. I was like, man, this is crazy. And then everybody else, all the brothers from campus at that time, they would just invite me out. They would just put time out of their own schedule and be like, hey, let's, let's hang out. That's why I came out. I was like, this is real. This is accountability. My other church is like, oh, Freddie, right? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you came last week or month. Um, but this is what I saw here, and I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, I needed that change in my life. It was commitment, sacrifice, love, 
Uh, and that really helped me decide to make that commitment to Jesus, um, that devotion to one another. Everything I saw them do, I started thinking, man, man that's what something, something that Jesus would do. That's something that Jesus would do for me. And that's what I saw in these, in, in these friends and Ashley. And I was like, wow. And um, I started studying the Bible. You know, I started studying the Bible like around two months and I decided to, to be baptized. You know, I decided to follow Christ forever. And, like, I really needed that change. I needed that love. I wanted to see. I wanted to be that person. I didn't want to be that anymore, what I used to be. And it's crazy. It's how could a man like me be a man that's so unlike me now? So thank you for letting me share. It's awesome to be up here. It's awesome to share this. And I hope this encourages you. Because you guys encourage me every single day when you guys get here and I say hi to you. But love you all. Thank you. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you, Freddie. Ashley Furman made a difference. God wants you to be able to make a difference. God wants all of us to have that opportunity to make a difference. He wants us to be able to help others to find Jesus and to become followers of Jesus. He wants us to be able to help other people change in areas that they need to change. It may be changes about their spiritual life, their relationship with God, but it also may be other areas of their life. He wants us to be able to make a difference in the lives of other people. Parents here, he wants us to help our children grow up and become what they need to be and to become followers of Jesus. And I think we all should want to know how to make a difference. We've been looking at Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a great story about a guy who made a difference. We're going to be in chapter 5 today. If you have Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah, your Old Testament, go ahead and get that out. We'll look at that in just a few minutes. But Nehemiah's story started when he was back in Persia. He was the royal butler. He was a servant of the king of Persia. He heard about the wall of Jerusalem being down, the people of Jerusalem and the Jewish people in general being in disgrace. And he was moved to want to make a difference. And so he used his position and his opportunity, really, to approach the king of Persia, ruling over that part of the world, ruling over the Jewish people at that time, that he would be able to go back and lead this effort to rebuild this wall in Jerusalem that had been down for 140 years. And he was able to influence, he was able to persuade the king that he should be able to do that. Then he got there, got down to Jerusalem. I suppose he'd never been there, I suppose he didn't know anybody But after a few days, he was able to get all the people together, and he was able to persuade them that they should rebuild this wall that had been down for 140 years. Nehemiah began to make a difference. So he was leading the effort, and we've been reading as we've gone along some of the challenges. First, there was just some more, uh, perhaps minor persecution and some name-calling and some verbal insulting and those kind of things. And I'm not minimizing that because that can hurt a lot, especially when you're in high school. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Kevin Arevalo, but you just, you sat in the wrong place. You were <laughs> sitting right in front of me. 
Now, that, that can be serious and that can be painful, but if we read in chapter 4, which was our last lesson in Nehemiah 4, it got so bad that the enemies of the Jewish people surrounding them threatened to kill them. And so the people were tired and the people were challenged and they're trying to make a living and they're trying to support their family and at the same time they're building a wall. And now they got people that want to kill them and Nehemiah was a man who knew how to make a difference. He persuaded them. He influenced them that they would be willing to continue building this wall, which was only halfway built at the time, but they would take a sword in one hand, and then they would take and build. They were one-handed builders. They were one-armed builders. Now, I don't know if you've heard yet, but Kevin Batchelor just uh, tore a bicep at work. So he is now a one-armed builder. Uh, at least temporarily, we hope, that he'll get better. But Nehemiah is making a difference because the people are ready to quit. And now, you ever feel like in your life that, you know, how could things get possibly get worse than they are right now? You ever feel that way? As one of my friends said one time, what else can go wrong? Don't ever ask that question because, sure enough, as bad as it may be in your life right now, it could get worse. So we're going to read in chapter 5. Yeah, good to know. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You know, it's my job. I'm just trying to prepare you for the worst. You know, that's one of the ways to be victorious in life. But in Nehemiah chapter 5, as if there weren't enough challenges, let's begin to read here uh, from that chapter and see what we can learn about how to make a difference. Nehemiah 5, verse 1, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine, the famine just so you know, that's a, a famine is a description of a period of time in a situation in a particular location where there's a lack of food. Food is not available. Perhaps even if you had the money to buy it, there's not enough food for people to go around. Still others were saying, we had to borrow money to pay the king's tax in our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs... Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of their daughters had already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Here is what else can go wrong. There's enough problems sometimes that you have enemies without. Sometimes we have enemies in our faith, people from outside of the faith, people from outside of the church. Here, the problem was within the fellowship. We could call that the enemy within. Sometimes the biggest challenge we have is to fix ourselves first. There was some really bad stuff going on here. Do you see that? Some really bad stuff. There were Jews, the nobles and the officials, the wealthy, who were taking advantage of their own people. And they were buying their land perhaps and taking their land at less than uh, appropriate prices and they were holding them as collateral in order to 
you know, because people were desperate to get food, and they were even taking advantage of them, and uh, their sons and daughters were being basically functioning as slaves for other Jewish people. And there was a famine, and the king's tax was already big, and yet there were Jews that were treating other Jews this way. So what do you do now if you're Nehemiah? You know, I think what I might have done is I might have turned in my resignation and gone back to Persia. You know, I would go back and take my job as the royal butler in the king's house there, right? But he didn't do that. So what I want to do is uh, walk through the rest of this story. We're going to do the whole chapter 5 here. We just have a few minutes. And I'm going to let you help me with the message today. I'm going to uh, give you an opportunity to make comments. What did we learn from Nehemiah and how to make a difference? Because we're going to see what Nehemiah does about this terrible situation. I'm going to let you help me out today. I'm really praying that you do a good job. Because I don't want you to feel too much pressure, but the whole sermon kind of depends on you now. How the rest of it's going to go. Are you ready for this, Dr. Stephan? Okay, let's read. I should say Dr. Stephan. Right? Okay. Nehemiah chapter 5, got to hold the Bible a little further away to see it, uh, verse 6, Nehemiah is talking, this is sort of his personal account of what happened, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry, I pondered them in my mind, and then accused the nobles and officials I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. Now, I should stop and explain what that word means. That just means they were charging excessive interest to their own people. They were giving them money, but they were charging outrageous interest of their own Jewish people. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back your Jewish and our Jewish brothers and sisters who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the name or the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? The Gentiles were anybody that weren't Jews. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you're charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. The hundredth part, you might think, well, that's just 1%. That's not bad interest. Most commentators believe that's... 1% a month that they were charging to people. So that makes it a whole different thing, right? Verse 12, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. So we'll stop there for the moment. We'll finish the story. So what do you learn from Nehemiah about how to make a difference? Back here, Cheryl. Thank you, and you said that in a very bold and assertive way. Thank you. I didn't even have to point the microphone at you. You are never 
going to make a difference in other people's lives until you are willing to speak up. And sometimes you have to be bold and strong, and sometimes you have to say things that are hard to say and maybe even harder for people to hear. But if you're not willing to do that, you're never going to make a difference in people's lives. All of us can look at our lives, and we can think about the times in our life, and perhaps most especially in our spiritual life, where somebody loved us enough and cared enough to confront us and to be honest with us and to be truthful with us about where they saw us and how we were living our life. Many of you can relate to that, can't you? You say, well, is it important that we be an example? I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you a little spoiler alert. Uh, we're going to get to that in this part of the story. Yes, example is maybe foundationally important. I'm not sure that you can be really make a difference in other people's lives without a great example. However, just being an example is not enough. Have you figured that out yet? I heard somebody say one time that, Being an example without being somebody who's willing to speak up means that you're just half the leader and half the person that you could be. I got a clue for you just to help you out. This is if you're less than 18, but a lot of your parents need to hear this too. Just being an example doesn't, as powerful as that is, it may make people think most of the time it doesn't bring about a great change in people's lives. Until you say something. Until you speak up. If you want to make a difference, and I hope you do, you're going to have to be willing to speak up. Anybody else want to say anything else about this before we move on? Yes, go ahead. He didn't give up. That's a good idea. I already mentioned, you know, I would have been tempted to go back to Persia now. This is like... One problem too many. I'm done here. Drop the mic, walk off the stage. But he didn't do that. He didn't give up. I like that. Dave Uch? Yes, he addressed them. He said he... He asked questions. He made an appeal. There's a lot to learn here. We don't have time to look at all about the way that he went about this. He reasoned them. And one of the things, it's very impressive because at the end of the conversation, the end of this meeting, they all said, okay, we're going to stop doing this. However long it's been going on, we're not going to do it anymore. It may not be obvious to you, but he was appealing to the word of God and to what God had already taught his people. See, the Jewish people knew, it was very clear that and it was known in the Jewish community, it was part of the law of God in the Old Testament, that if you do give money to somebody else, either one, it needs to be a gift where you do not expect a return, or if you do loan them money, and that's okay to loan each other money, but there should be no interest charged. That was the rules in the Jewish faith. That was the law of God about how they should treat each other. He appeals to them what he's in. He's very honest with them. He points out what they're doing is wrong and makes an appeal to them. One other comment. Yes. Maribel. 
he brought them back to God. And see, this is the great thing into the scriptures. This is the great thing that all of us have going for us if you want to make a difference. It doesn't have so much to do with who you are. It has to do with who God is. And I tell you, I would not want to be in doing what I'm doing. I've been in the ministry for many years now. I'm not allowed to tell you how many. Because Mary Kay would not have lunch with me. That is not true. She would. She would. She would. She just doesn't want you to think that I'm older than I really am. Right, Mary Kay? We'll just move on then. We'll just move on then. So what, what was I saying? I'm sure it was important. I wouldn't want to do what I'm doing. And it's not just me because I'm in the ministry. I hope it's you because if you're a follower of Jesus. I don't want to depend on my wisdom. I don't want to depend on my rationale. I don't want to depend on my insight. I don't want to depend on my understanding of what's best. The advantage that we all have, the beauty of what we all have here in the inspired word of God is we have God's truth about what's right and what's wrong and what's best and how life works and what's going to fulfill us and what's going to help us get to heaven. And the beauty is I just have to be willing. I just have to love people enough to be willing to remind them or to teach them what God's word has to say. And that takes all the pressure off of me. That gives me the opportunity to have a power and an influence and to make a difference that I would never have otherwise. Because that's how powerful the Word of God is, and that's how real God Himself is. Okay, so let's move on because we've got to finish the story. And we've got five minutes. Where are we? Last part of verse 12. So after the decision was made, then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. And the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. So we'll stop there. What do we learn from Nehemiah there about how to make a difference? Looking at you, Joan. What did we learn? Back in the back? Can't see you back there. Lolina. Exactly, exactly. Jim? Exactly. We'll move on, but this is an important part. The first part is to be willing, that we learn from Nehemiah, is to be willing to speak up. The second part of it is, when somebody does seemingly come to a conviction, and they do come an understanding of what they need to change, you need to do everything you can to help them to make a commitment that will stick. 
And you need to tell them, explain to them that you expect them to keep their commitment. And one of the things that I always do, and I learned this from Nehemiah's example and from other places in the Bible, is I say you need to go tell everybody you know exactly what you just told me. And maybe we'll have a meeting of everybody you know and let them tell you what you let you tell them what you just said to me. I just met with a brother yesterday or earlier this week who's making some great decisions about changing his spiritual life and he he made some decisions and I said what you need to do is you need to call everybody and talk to everybody that you can think of that you know in your family and in this fellowship and let them know the decision that you've made and ask them to help you keep that decision and follow through on that decision. And that's one of the things that we need to help each other with in order to make a difference. So let's read the last part here, the rest of the chapter. It's harder than I thought to hold a microphone and a Bible at the same time. You know, I should be able to get one of those earpieces. Not a hearing aid. Uh, that's something different, right? Richard, can you do that for me? Because then I could have two hands. And if I had any notes, I could look at them. Okay. I do have some notes, but don't have enough hands to look at them. So here's the end of the story. It's a fantastic story. Verse 14, this is where we get to look at Nehemiah's example. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be governor in the land of Judah, he's going back to just a few months before when he started, and now he's writing this later, until his 32nd year, 12 years, So I don't know if you know this, but Nehemiah, the first time he went to Jerusalem, he stayed there for 12 years. Look what he says happened during these 12 years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those who preceded me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God... I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. You know, Nehemiah was the governor, but he was down there in the dirt, working with everybody, building that wall just like everybody else was. Getting dirty, getting down and getting dirty. I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, instead, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine and all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor Oh, my God, for all I have done for these people. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Nehemiah had something that a lot of us might call moral integrity. You know what I'm saying? You know, his ability to make a difference and your ability to make a difference does not 
depend primarily on our position. It doesn't depend primarily on our education. It doesn't depend primarily on our social skills. Many of us should be glad about that. It doesn't depend on how charismatic we are. It doesn't depend on how much money you have. Nehemiah actually was a rich man, and he did have a position. But that wasn't why he made a difference. Because he had an example that was unimpeachable. That's a big word. If you don't know what it means, go home and look it up. I think I used it correctly. But if not, hopefully you understood what I was trying to communicate. His example was sterling. It was flawless. They couldn't point to him. Not he was perfect. Relax. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. But they are expecting you to day in and day out demonstrate a life of somebody who loves God, who lives for God, who cares about God, and who cares about other people. And if you don't have that, certainly in a spiritual sense, you're never going to be able to make a difference. Do you understand that? Maybe you've heard it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Nehemiah demonstrated his example spoke volumes. And that's why everybody knew his example. It was obvious. He wasn't just using his position as a governor to heap riches upon himself or take advantage of his position and things that many people would say were rightfully his. No, he was doing exactly the opposite. He wasn't taking anything, and he was feeding people and helping people that needed help. It turns out that your example is perhaps the most powerful and foundational opportunity that you have to make a difference. You still have to speak up. And you may still need to learn to hold people to be accountable for the decisions they made. But you can't replace your example. If you want to help your children grow up to be followers of Jesus, the most important thing you can do, mom and dad, is show them and demonstrate to them that you are a person who loves God with all your heart and passionately loves God. Now, when they're younger, they're probably not going to know the difference. But you know what happens when they get older? You know what happens when they get to the age of these people that are sitting on the first couple of rows there? They know. They may not say it to you. They may not admit it. For many years, they may not admit it ever. You may be able to fool parents. You may be able to fool the other people in your small group. And you may be able to fool other people in the church. But you cannot fool your children. See? Everybody say amen. 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 We're going to take as an amen from everybody else, too. You can't do it. You can try. Now, when you have a dream for helping other people, I'll close out with this this caveat, this understanding. First of all, I want to encourage you, your, your kids are not looking for perfection. 
They're just looking for a heart that cares about God and cares about other people. And they know. They know it by the schedule you keep. They know it by the conversations you have. They see it by whether you share, how much you share your faith. They see it in, a, in, a, in, a, in infinite ways. They know. The best chance they have of becoming Christians is for you to be a great example. Now, they might become a Christian in spite of you. But that's not really what you want. It's not really God's plan, is it? But here's the thing. When you have a dream to make a difference, whether it's helping somebody else to be a Christian or helping somebody else to change something in their life or helping even your own children to be what they need to be, you always have to understand that even if you're doing everything that you should do within your best ability as an imperfect person, other people, you can have a dream for other people, and you should have a dream for They always have a choice at the end of the day. They always have a choice. And so we need to accept that. There's some dreams that I can have about doing things for God and doing great things for God that don't really depend necessarily on other people, and God may be able to fulfill those dreams, just me and him. The dream of somebody else changing, the dream of somebody else following Jesus, the dream of somebody else repenting, the dream of somebody else changing. At the end of the day, those people have to make a decision. Whether it's your children or other family members or somebody you're reaching out to. But I hope you learned something from the example of Nehemiah today about how to make a difference. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Nehemiah's example, certainly inspiring, certainly so much to learn, certainly more than we could possibly learn today. Help us to take this, to be willing to look at our own lives. Help us to be willing to speak up and make a difference in each other's lives, to be the example, but also be people who love enough to speak up and love enough to speak the truth to each other. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day. Is this still on? Yes. Reminder to go sign up for the silent auction, as my wife, Mary Kay, has suggested. This is your reminder. Go to the courtyard. Sign up with our young singles for the silent auction for the missions contribution.